Let's go to the Word this morning, shall we? Is in the Word that we are fed? It's in the Word that we grow? It's of the Word that we find out just who it is we worship and why. Hebrews, the seventh chapter, is our current study as we are working our way through this book. Bring us again to verse 4, and I read. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Would you pray with me this morning? Blessed Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, High Priest of Heaven, even through whom our victory is won and our approach to God is made secure, bless your word this morning, O thou living word. Holy Spirit, superintend upon our hearts and minds that we might be learners Give us, Lord, what you said you give freely, wisdom to all who ask. And in our getting of wisdom, Lord, we pray, may we get understanding. Bless this time then, Lord, to those purposes and all purposes you have for this message for all of us here. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. To be a people of God is to worship God. From the very beginning, God made Adam and Eve to fellowship with himself, yes, but also to worship God. Him. The entirety of creation was made, and the entire creation was made and is purposeful in its worship of God. Because of the fall, man has needed help to come back to God and worship. Harmony was broken, unity was broken, and certainly worship came to a crossroads. And rather than running to God, man in sin 
ran away from God and hid himself. We are reminded throughout the entirety of the Bible that it is that God who has taken upon himself to go and get man and bring sinful man to himself. It is not man who in his sin seeks God. It is God in his righteousness, glory, and love seeks after sinful men. And so God has made a way first paved to himself through the law of Moses, kept for hundreds of years by Israel for mankind to meet with God, to worship God, and in those things keep the law of God. That ministry was overseen by priests who bring people to God. And a high priest in particular who represented sinful man to God and bore the weight of guilt for their sin before God. This was a training field, a school, if you will, for Israel to learn the necessity for another better kind of priest a high priest who is superior to all the Levitical priests to include the very first Aaron and to replace them, to do away with them, but not to do away with all priestly ministry. Rather, to bring it to its culmination in Christ Jesus, the great high priest. We are a people of God. We come to worship God. And Hebrews is teaching us that we come, yes, through Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Redeemer, Jesus the Lamb sacrificed for our sins, but we also and only come accompanied by a high priest. The high priest who brings us to God with him. Hebrews is laying out in the highest forms of logic and reason using the text of Scripture as the primary source of understanding to break through the Hebrew mind that is stuck in so many ways in tradition, which, of course, is so different than us. We who are simply biblical and affected by any traditions passed on from our fathers. I hear some sniggering in the crowd. And we snigger and we laugh because we know that we probably have brought with us some traditions non-biblical, yet seeing them, that's one part of the problem. Dealing with them is the hard part of the problem. 
That is why Hebrews goes on and on. To break through to the Hebrew mind that for hundreds of years has been under and in and rightly in the law of Moses as the means to worship God and please him. And they are being brought to maturity to understand that those things which came before in the whole of the Mosaic system, with particular emphasis on the high priest, are now having reached a culmination point done away with. And a new and greater and superior high priest is to be their focus of attention in coming to God for worship, for his glory, and also to keep the new covenant of which I'll have much to say in a number of weeks. I go back again to remind us that three proofs are being given to us here in chapter 7, verses 4 through 10, that to the Hebrew unto whom it was written, a breakthrough could be made in seeing this Jesus, this Son of God, as also a replacement high priest of such a higher order than all priests who had come before, that they would jettison and do away with their traditions of holding on to Levitical high priests and priests in general. This is one of the tragedies of any religious system in our world today that brings in priests and puts a legalistic requirement on people who would approach God of coming through those earthly, human, sinful priests. So there is some tradition that can be broken through for us as well. We look at three proofs that Melchizedek, the historical king of Salem, priest of God Most High, who is a type of Christ who would come, was superior even to Abraham and also superior to all who came from Abraham, including the priestly tribe of Levi. We looked last week, or the week before last, as last week was for free, and we proved that by giving a tithe to Melchizedek, Abraham was declaring the superiority of Melchizedek over himself. He was paying respect to the position of Melchizedek, that great high priest. Abraham was under no obligation to give a tithe, but he gave a tithe in respect of the position and the glory of that man, Melchizedek, priest of God 
Most High. Chapter 7, verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of priests. It was a voluntary, non-obligatory thanksgiving offering, but a declaration of the superiority of his priestly ministry. In a sense, Abraham was coming to God through the ministry of Melchizedek and giving glory to God for the victory he had just earned by giving a tenth part of the spoils from that military victory and the release of his nephew Lot to Melchizedek. As we pointed out when we studied this, that is the same attitude that we are now to bring in church giving as part of the new covenant where we are not under the Mosaic obligation of tenths. And by the way, there wasn't just one tenth in the Mosaic system. There were a number of tenths. We are to give from a cheerful heart what the Lord has laid on us to give. Not in grudging obligation, but a matter of generosity and thanksgiving. And I move on this morning to the second proof. The second proof that Melchizedek was greater and superior to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And it was proved then secondly by Melchizedek's actions in rendering a blessing upon Abraham was proved by his blessing on Abraham. Look again at verse 6. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham. And here's where we pay attention to this point. And Melchizedek blessed him who had the promises. So who is blessing whom? Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, is proffering or rendering a blessing upon Abraham, who is the father of Israel, identified here as he who received from God promises. Abraham is a blessed man. God had given him the promise of Lineage, heritage, a people, a nation from his own body, from his own loins. God promised he would give him a son and he gave him Isaac. But not only that, he had promised to give Abraham a land, the land of promise. So a people of promise was made to be then enjoyed in a land of promise that would have the promise of God being there with them. For we will find out later that Abraham was not just looking forward to the people in the land under Mosaic law and in the temple and the tabernacle built by law, but he was waiting for a city made without hands. 
But lest I go to chapter 11, I'll pull myself back to chapter 7. This blessed one is now blessed by this almost anonymous character, only revealed to us in more detail here in Hebrews, as one who gave a blessing. And so everything that happened in those few short verses in Genesis 14 are details for us to note and to see because it's brought into the New Testament in Hebrews for us to see and to evaluate now the greatness of this type of priest of the order of Melchizedek whom Jesus is part. He gave a blessing to Abraham. And the way in which this works is told to us in very clear terms not taking as much to interpret, but now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Why did God say that? It's so that we would understand that Abraham is the lesser and Melchizedek is the better, the greater. That has to be held as an obvious interpretive conclusion. Abraham, as great as he was for the Hebrew people, Father Abraham, who had many sons through Isaac, is of a lower stature standing than this Melchizedek of Genesis 14. Prefiguring as well this Jesus who would come, who is greater than Abraham, which was the Hebrews' problem. Does anybody remember when Jesus said to those Jews in the land, those Pharisees, those scribes, those Sadducees, and he said to them, before Abraham was what? I am. He said, before Abraham was, I was self-existing. And they made the appropriate conclusion when they said, are you making yourself greater than our father Abraham? Before Abraham was. I am. That's what this is about. Letting go of earthly heroes of tradition. Not making them into nothing, but putting them into their proper category. Is Abraham not to be admired? Well, if he's not, then no more should ever be said about him. However, we will find him again in chapter 11 as a man who gives us an example of faith. So certainly it is not saying that he is of no value to the Hebrews, but that he should never, ever, 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 may I emphasize this by saying ever, 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 be elevated to any status of any equivalency with the great high priest Melchizedek, nor Jesus, who is a greater than Melchizedek. To put people in their appropriate places is always a problem with us, isn't it? 
as humans. We want a hero. I wonder how many hero songs have been made in the history of the world. You know, I'm looking for a hero. That's my generation. Yeah? And all the girls are like, yeah, I want a hero. And guess what? The most heroic man you'll ever marry pales, fails in comparison to Christ Jesus. Put them in their proper place as true heroes when they are indeed such but not elevating them above God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's the challenge for the Hebrews here. That's the challenge for us as well. So Abraham is of lesser stature than Melchizedek, and the blessing proves it. And the history of blessings proves it as well. And, and regrettably, the New Testament church doesn't have a very good tradition. Of blessings, do we? It is very rare that you will ever see anyone in the New Covenant, New Testament Church in the United States of America receive a blessing, one from another, in any particular way. Have you ever seen it? There are times when I think it's appropriate. Even in families, there's an appropriate time for a blessing. Did you know that? But because we have lost so much of what it means to have a real family with a real head, because patriarchal leadership is horrible to the world of which we are infected. Did I say that that loud? I think I did. The restoring of that is to restore honor to where honor is given by God. The father and husband are to be honored because they're a husband and father. A mother and a wife is to be honored because she is a wife and a mother. Do honor. Different roles. Not interchangeable. Period. Co-equal in standing before God. Neither male nor female. Jew nor Greek. Rich nor poor. All are one in Christ. But different roles. Equality doesn't mean we do the same things or have the same positions in regard to our standing before God. It means we do what God said in that position and then honors do us. So heads of families used to give blessings to their progeny, to their children, particularly to sons. It's biblical. That's what's being referenced here is a, a, a history of son blessing by fathers who are greater than their sons. Sons usually don't want to be less than their fathers. Can I have an amen? Eh, not even one. I'm going to do more than my old man. See, if you say old man right there, you're just wrong. You're not honoring your father. 
because he's your father. Here's how it used to work. Genesis 28, verse 1. Then Isaac, as a father, called Jacob and blessed him. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So with the blessing, meaning he is giving to him the promises from his father, Abraham, the father of promise. Do you know what Abraham passed on to Isaac and what Isaac is passing on to Jacob? It is the blessed promise of God that comes through their family. And faith says that if you believe that, you put your hand on the head of your son and you pass that promise down the history of your family in hope. If you don't give that promise, because you don't believe in it, like Jacob's brother Esau, who looked at the promises made to Abraham and he sold them for a cup of bean soup. So he did not receive the promise. He did not receive the blessing. And he became a rebellious nation of Edom, forever fighting with his brother Jacob in Israel. And to Jacob was given the blessing. The greater to the lesser and on down the line. That's why they don't call it up the line of genealogy. They call it down. Genesis 32, another example. Now Jacob, now Jacob's a character indeed. Yes, he stole the birthright. Yes, it was God's plan. But Jacob wanted something from God. And Jacob, while he's returning back to the promised land, now with two wives in tow, one which he worked for seven years, and oops, it's the older sister, and the other as well that he worked another seven years for, has them in train. And they stop along the way, and Abraham has this encounter or excuse me, Jacob has this encounter with someone identified in our text as a man. And they wrestled all night long. Somebody say, well, what did that look like, Pastor? I have zero idea. I have zero idea until in the morning this man who is wrestling with Jacob says, let me go. Jacob will not unless he blesses him. And so to get Jacob to let go, and I can only imagine what this fight was like, this man touches Jacob's hip and the muscle on his hip withers away and he becomes lame the rest of his life. And the testimony of Jacob from there on out, even when he will give a blessing to his sons, is he blessed his sons leaning on his staff. And as a tradition, Israel will never eat that muscle in any other creatures they eat. That's for free. In Genesis 32, 
verse 28, the man with whom Jacob was wrestling, some say the angel of the Lord, others say a Christophany, Jesus Christ himself, I lean there. This man says unto Jacob, and he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. This is the renaming of Jacob into a national name. It should be called Israel. For you, listen, and here's how we know the identity of the person. For you have struggled with God. So it can't just be an angel. They possibly struggle with God through the angel. He said, with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob's a fighter. Jacob goes hammer and tong in the spiritual, physical realm demanding a blessing. And he receives it. He prevailed. I almost started preaching another sermon, but just think about that when you would, when you go after God, do you go after God like Jacob does? Bless me. I'm not stopping until you bless me. I don't know, it's just interesting. I didn't, can't take it too far, be careful. I might have spilled more, more worms right there. 29. Then Jacob asked, saying, listen, tell me your name, I pray. And he... This man said, quote, why is it that you ask me to ask about my name? End quote. And he blessed him there. The greater to the lesser. Why do you ask me my name? Who do men say that I am. Some say Elijah. Some say the prophet. Who do you say that I am? What's your name? What did Moses ask God? When I go to Pharaoh and do what you say, who shall I say sent me? What's your name? And God says to Moses, tell him, I am has sent you. To, to us, it, it's hard for us to get the enormity of that. The simplicity of what God declares as opposed to everyone else in the world. Every other sentient being which encompasses one race, mankind, and one spiritual race, angels. And he declares himself, I am. I am exist. In his being, God is. Now, it doesn't depend on what your understanding of the meaning of is is. 
Because that construct of is is powerful. Ask that past president who said those foolish words. He who is, he who was, he who forevermore shall be. I am who I am. And this is my son. Are you holding him in the right regard? Because the lesser was blessed by the greater in Melchizedek. See, God recognizes people on the basis of who they are And even more important, what they are. Quality. If you're going to give a good compliment, you could say to someone who is very accomplished, now that is a person of quality. Of quality. And those qualifications are, are the highest. Men give positions very cheaply. We're in the age, I have heard, that you can be famous for being famous. You're famous because a lot of people know who you are. It seems to be connected with the internet world of communications. All of a sudden we have internet phenomenons. People who are famous. Uh, perhaps it is appropriate that we say what they've done or said has gone viral. Good word. Like a virus, they have infected, usually to the detriment of the infected, with themselves, their ideologies or whatever it is, they're pumping forth. God doesn't measure like that. And we have to realize that not only is he putting Abraham, putting Isaac, putting Jacob, putting the Levites, putting Aaron in a place of lesser standing than Melchizedek, he also does that to all of us in the New Covenant Church as well. That when he decided to set up what will be the New Covenant Church, he could have said, okay, now you need to have Jews in every church to run it. That was kind of the model of Israel. You're Israel. You're in the center of all these people. Bring them all in. Make them part of you. And bring them to worship me. And they said, no way, Jose. We won't do it. That's kind of short what happened. But in the church that Jesus set up, he said, he who wants to be great among you Right? We love this part, right? He wants to be greatest among you. Let him be the servant of all. I quit. That's not why I joined this. I want to be greatest of all. Right? 
That's what the flesh says. That's what sin says. But to be the servant of all, and that's how you're even supposed to choose leadership in the church. What qualifications? Well, what's your father and mother? What lineage are you from? <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, I'm sorry, it just doesn't measure up. Needs need, you know, one of those Eastern families that came over, you know, on the Mayflower. And you have none, I see. Sorry, move to the back. God is no respecter of men. So even in his church, he tells us how to choose and how to recognize those whom God has chosen to lead us. And we learn who should be a pastor, who should be an elder, who should be the ones teaching. And in Titus, we learn this, the qualities rather than the heritage. In Titus 1, 1, or excuse me, 5, forgive me. Uh, for this reason, Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, here's, here's six knots are coming. There's a blamelessness and there's six knots. So how do you choose a man first? Six knots. That's not speed. That's don't bees. What they don't do or shouldn't be doing. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, listen, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. So look at the quality of his headship, his leadership, and his fatherly ministry in his home and his husband ministry to his wife. And they should not be given to insubordination or dissipation. Verse 7. For a bishop, also we could call him an elder and overseer, must be blameless as a steward of God, listen, not self-willed. It's not what he always wants to do, what God wants. Not quick-tempered. Not given to wine. Not violent. Not greedy for money. Six knots. Which also means he's a man of quality. Verse 8, we go into the eight oughts. Six knots, eight oughts. What he ought to be doing to be recognized as a man of quality, of standing that God would recognize. But here's the oughts. The first ought, he ought to be hospitable, but hospitable. He ought to be a lover of what is good. He ought to be sober-minded. He ought to be just. He ought to be holy. He ought to be self-controlled. He ought to be holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, which I would add to that, he has to be teachable if he's going to teach. If you can't be taught, then you can't teach. That he may be able, there's an odd, he has to be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict quality. Melchizedek is of a higher quality. And the better blessed the lesser in Abraham. Third proof. Third proof that Father Abraham is of less standing and Melchizedek is of greater standing. 
than Abraham. It is proved by Melchizedek's eternal priesthood, proved by his eternal uh, priesthood. And we've been marking right around this the whole time, but now we're going to show you again where this exists. Verse 8, Hebrews chapter 7. Here, mortal men receive tithes. So there's a real obvious statement, but it must be made. Mortality. Men who die, who are Levites, they all die. And they are receiving tithes from men. But we read now on. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So we have Melchizedek, a type of Christ. He's a real man. And as a real man, he probably at some point died. But all of that is never mentioned in any part of Scripture, and it's perplexing. First, they tell us he has no genealogy. We say, well, what guy can really have a genealogy? Of course he has a genealogy. But the point is that God made is I'm not going to tell you who his parents are because that doesn't matter. Just like in the New Covenant, New Testament church, who a person's parents are doesn't matter. What matters is where they are with God and how they live their life before God. That's what matters. The wretched refuse of the world come to Jesus Christ and are all made sons of God through Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of it. No room for the flesh to rise up. Say by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, by no merit of thy own. Here I am. And so here again, life and death is not mentioned. Even read the patriarchs. You know, you know what happens to Abraham? He dies. And they lay him to rest. You know what happens to Isaac? Even he who was rescued from the altar and death at his father's hands, he died and was gathered to his father Abraham. And Jacob died and was gathered to his father. And Joseph died and said, when, I, when you go to the promised land, bring my bones that's called faith in the promises. And they died and they died and they died. And Aaron lived and served God as high priest and he died and his son, some of them died right away and then a few others served and they died 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 and they died. But this Melchizedek has never ever written that he died. So that he can be for us today and for every Hebrew who reads this a type of Christ who lives. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lives, for God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. He gives life. This is life, and that is the whole of what is being presented. Why is he greater? He lives. That is odd, folks. No need for mortuaries. No need for a casket. Jesus used a tomb for a few days and then was done. Thank you for the loner. No one else 
gets a loaned casket. I mean, can you imagine that? Well, we're just going to use it for a little while. And when we're done, we'll give it back. Can we get a, like, half price? I don't think they're going to buy it. Nor should they. What's your name? I am. Who are you, God? I am. What are you, God? I am. Who is Jesus? I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Did you hear me? No one comes to the Father but through me, the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, who is greater than your father Abraham, who hath. We have to replace our priestly thinking like the Hebrews and get rid of dead and dying priests. They are no good to us for all of eternity. They are no good to us. Only one crosses the barrier of eternity to serve in that capacity. Here's a man who died friend of Jesus. Jesus loved him. The Bible tells us so. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus loved of Jesus. His two sisters, special family relationship. He supped with them. He was with them. They listened to him. They learned from him. And he hears of the death of Lazarus and Jesus waits. And he comes and down the road they say Jesus is coming and Martha runs from the house. She breaks forth. Jesus is here. And she says to Jesus if you had been here if you had just been here then my brother wouldn't have died. Why weren't you here? That's what I just added. That's what she's saying. Why didn't you come? John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am. I am the resurrection, and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall what? Live. Live. I am not bound by my location. 
I am not bound by the constraints which every man is bound. Death. I am the resurrection which can only happen after you die. That's the definition. Resurrection. Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives, he goes on to say, and believes in me shall what? Never die. And then he asks the same question I now ask to you. He asks this to Martha. He says, do you believe this? And he's asking her, who do you think I am? Do you get it? Many Christians don't. That's why many Christians doubt. Hebrews is going to take away your doubts. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Where is fear in death? If you die, you believe in him, you shall live. You shall not only live, you shall never really die. Because death has another meaning than flesh lying in a casket rotting away. Death has the meaning of a spiritual death, eternal separation from God because of the punishment of sin. And he is saying, that has been removed where you could not come to me. You can come to me with this Jesus, the resurrection and the life, the great high priest who brings you. Therefore, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, we may come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace, find mercy, and receive grace in the time of trouble. Who is this man? This Melchizedek. Who is this Jesus of the order of Melchizedek? He lives forever to make intercession on your behalf. Let's pray. Blessed Jesus. Blessed Jesus, hear, O oh, hear us when we pray. And carry your prayers through your high priestly ministry to God our Father, God your Father, as our great high priest. For you are I am. And we have put our faith in you to deliver us into the presence of God the Father. And all God's people say it. Amen.